get to the bottom of what's truly healthy in this crazy, complex world. So you can take back what is rightfully yours. Welcome to the Health Sovereign Podcast. This is your host, Logan Christopher. Welcome back. This is our final in the FDA whistleblower series. We've covered a lot of whistleblowers, a lot of statistics, everything about the FDA scientists not trusting themselves. But like with most statistics, when you dive into details of the specific cases, that's where we can really see things go wrong. So this is a a larger story that covers some different elements, but we see not just an FDA whistleblower involved, but the CEOs involve the regulators that go through the revolving door, all of this stuff. Now, there's quite a few drug names and other names in here, so I might be butchering this, but let's dive in. Medical Monopoly Musings number 59. Another FDA whistleblower, a predatory CEO, and regulator revolving door spin. Got one more FDA whistleblower to share with you. For this one, I want to go into a bit more detail to show how this fits in with the other critical aspects. This gives you a bigger picture of how the FDA and Big Pharma operate in all their shady glory. The majority of this comes from Robert Whittaker over at madinamerica.com. For even more details, go and read his lengthy piece. It is centered around the antipsychotic drug Asenapine made by Shearing Plow with the trade name Safras. Shearing Plow later merged with Merck in 2009. This merger made CEO of Shearing Plow, Fred Hassan, and other executives over $100 million. Earlier, Hassan had great success at Pharmacia, which got bought out by Pfizer, largely based on Celebrex and Bextra, drugs that would come under lawsuits and criminal charges for false marketing later. Hassan, named Financial Times CEO of the Year in 1999, would take the position at Shearing Plow in 2003. At Shearing Plow, he also led the false marketing of Zytorin and Zidia, which Merck later played $688 million for in fines. He was in charge during the approval of Esapine as well. He's held various positions and board seats of other pharmaceutical companies since then, up through the present day. Hassan was chairman at Pharma, the industry trade group, including working on the Affordable Care Act in 2009. Our drug in question centers around Ron Kavanaugh, an expert in clinical pharmacology at the FDA turned whistleblower. His case is still not resolved despite him turning whistleblower 12 years ago. Kavanaugh had worked at the FDA since 1998 and led to several drugs not being approved and others such as Lotronex being recalled. The pharma companies started hating him because of this. So did others at the FDA. In 2005, he started talking to the Senate Finance Committee about corruption in the psychiatric division and in the Office of Clinical Pharmacology and other FDA offices. He mentioned the off-label marketing of psychiatric drugs, particularly in children. See number 40 for examples. For this, he was suspended and told to stop blowing the whistle if he wanted to keep his job. In 2007, Kavanaugh looked at the data behind asenapine. He warned that asenapine and related drugs would be responsible for 5,000 or more deaths per year, and his research showed they weren't even effective for mild to moderate bipolar symptoms they were approved for. Some alarming details stood out. Whitaker wrote that Kavanaugh found safety concerns about neonatal deaths where a possible toxic risk has been deliberately obscured by sharing plow, and a cardiac arrest in a healthy volunteer had morphed into a fainting episode. Unfortunately, this is often how drug science is conducted and modified by drug companies. 
In May 2008, Kavanaugh recommended non-approval. By June, receiving pushback from his superiors, he wrote to the office of the Inspector General and Senator Charles Grassley. He said his colleagues at the FDA were complicit with sharing plow in criminal activity. Superior to Kavanaugh was the director of the Psychiatry Division at the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, Thomas Laffron. Laffron started at the FDA in 1985. His first review as a team leader was Prozac, see number 10, number 40, and number 58. During his FDA tenure, Laffron recommended off-label use of psychiatric drugs in children. He co-authored a book with the chief medical officer of Eli Lilly, maker of Prozac, Lee Thompson. He served on panels at conferences paid for by drug companies. In other words, he had conflicted interests. FBI agents looked into the whistleblower complaint, but labeled it as a difference of opinions in the agency. In August, Laffron wrote a report approving of Asenapine. That month, Kavanaugh was fired. Despite approval, Asenapine didn't do particularly well in the marketplace, perhaps because it didn't work. In 2013, it was only making sales of $150 million. In 2012, Laffron left the FDA to form Laffron Psychopharm Consulting. One of his first clients was AstraZeneca, working to get Seroquel approved for more uses, including in adolescence. Laffron was successful in navigating these new uses through the FDA's approval process, despite data of sudden cardiac death. This was also the drug that AstraZeneca paid Wikipedia editors to write positively about, covered in number 47. Within two years, the FDA received reports of 220 deaths due to cardiac events for Seroquel. A warning label was added. A PDF of a presentation of Laffron found online lists clients including AbbVie, Eli Lilly, Pfizer, Roche, and many others. Meanwhile, he was also consultant to the National Institute of Mental Health under the NIH. Laffron is also part-time employee at Massachusetts General Hospital Clinical Trials Network and Institute, which states on their homepage, making your clinical trial program successful, smaller, and faster. He holds a leadership position there. In this document, he summarizes, regulatory agencies are not fundamentally opposed to considering alternative approaches to carving up the psychiatric illness space by showing studies that showed clinical benefits which have a way of overcoming initial regulatory reluctance. In other words, hire me. I have the network to help you get your drug studied in a way it will get approved because of my insider knowledge and connections. In summation, Hassan and Laffron are laughing all the way to the bank. Meanwhile, Kavanaugh has still not made any traction on his whistleblower case. Welcome to our FDA. So there are tons of details for this story. Once again, if you really want much more, go to Mad in America. You can find the link to this specific article uh, in the references, the show notes for this episode, healthsovereign.com slash 61. Much more in this story. I just kind of gave a big picture showing many of the different parts involved. We have the predatory CEOs of pharmaceutical companies who has a existing pattern of leading false marketing, moving from one company to another, and the companies he leaves that get bought out by other ones end up footing the criminal bills for such false marketing. We have the whistleblower who is not able to get traction on his case. So he filed it many years ago Obama administration, no traction there. Trump administration, no traction there. Probably this is just going to die on the vine, never go anywhere. This is what happens with whistleblowers. As we saw in that survey long ago, that 
they get fired. That happened to Kavanaugh in this example. And this is because the people superior to him, who are conflicted in interest, financial ties to the pharmaceutical companies, these are the ones that control what happens. So we have good people in the FDA trying to actually do the legitimate job of regulating drugs, approving good ones, not approving bad ones. And if there's problems, then making sure that's very clear and pulling them off the market. But this gets in the way of the people that pay the bills. And so when you have your men on the inside, Lafrin here, it's conflicted a bunch of times over, all sorts of different ways then we see what happens. But what's worse than that is really this revolving door. So he starts up a consulting company and he's able to help navigate the drug companies through this using his knowledge and his connections really of what it amounts to. I won't say falsifying science, but setting up science in a way where you are much more likely to get the outcome that you want. This is clearly what is going on at these places as we'll explore in the next couple episodes. So these are the details of how the FDA actually works. The good guys get squeezed out. The bad guys, they stay in or they, they move into other positions where they continue to reap the benefits of being the bad guys. That's how it is, unfortunately. That's going to wrap it up for this short episode. If you want to leave comments or see the references, all that jazz, that's over at healthsovereign.com 61. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.